morning, everyone. Let me um, show you this. This is our theme for the year, if you have uh, not, if you are a guest today. We're talking about growing, and hopefully what we're going to be looking at this morning will encourage you in this, okay? Um, Let me ask you, do you know what that is? Apart from being a picture on the screen, it's a website, okay? What website is that? Has anyone ever been to it? I hope so. Go on and have, check it out if, you, uh, if you're a guest. You probably have been to it, okay? It's just those who come every week. Okay, so if you uh, have a look about here, it says about us when you go to the website. And if you go on there and you scroll down, 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 you come to this, our core beliefs. This is what we do actually in First Steps on the second week. We actually go through what these core beliefs are. But one of the things that uh, Nathan and I talked about, in the light of growing this year, let's go through these 12, one a month, I'm a bit behind already because this is the first and it's already February, um, one a month we're going to look at our core beliefs of LifeGate Church, okay? So we're starting with number one and this is the first one this morning. So to help us in this growing process, we're going to take on this task, or I'm going to take on this task and preach through these core beliefs. And this is it. It says, The Bible is the living words of God, infallible as originally given, and the supreme authority in all Christian doctrine and lifestyle. That's the number one core belief we have here at the church. Now, they're all important. Don't get me wrong. All 12 make up what we believe. But I'm going to start with the Bible. And we start here... Basically because it's from this point here that God reveals himself. Apart from the Holy Spirit, there's no doubt we need the Holy Spirit actually to interpret what we're going to learn here, but we need this book to find out the most about who God is. You see, it's out of this ancient book that God reveals himself. And so we're going to try and understand what this has to say. Let me give you some some facts, a little bit of fun fact about this book. It comprises of 66 books and they were written by 40 people with very diverse backgrounds. They were fishermen, soldiers, physicians, preachers, kings, shepherds, etc, etc. It's a collection of different varieties of books that are made up of history, poetry, biography, letters and apocalyptic imagery. That's like the destruction imagery. It's over 2,000 plus years old. It took over 1,600 years to complete. And it was written across three continents. It's written in three languages and it contains some very controversial topics. Yet, and I think, you know, this is the supernatural part of this very book that each one of us hopefully have a hold of. It comes together to create one book that flows and agrees with itself. So whether you pick up the first page in Genesis or the last page in Revelation, it all comes together as one book. Now that's absolutely amazing. Over 1,600 years, 40 different writers, three languages, three continents, and yet it all says it agrees. And that's why it's such a supernatural book. Now how does this come about? Well, I believe it's because its authors are inspired and led by God the Holy Spirit. Peter said it this way, 
For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit spoke to them and they recorded what God wanted. Timothy says it this way, all Scripture is breathed out by God. I love that. All Scripture is breathed out. How did God create the world? He spoke it into existence, we're told in Genesis 1. How do we have this book in front of us? When it was originally given, God breathed it into humans to record what we have. And in fact, Jesus himself believed that the Old Testament was divinely inspired. It was the genuine word of God. He said it this way. John 10, he says, the scriptures cannot be broken. That's an endorsement, isn't it? He called it the commandments of God. And he called it the word of God. Now, I've heard people say, you use the Bible to prove itself. And, you know, the reason I do that is because I do believe it is the truth. My challenge to them when we have this conversation is that if you don't believe it's the truth, read it, come back, let's sit down and talk about it. And I'll have the conversation with you then. Because more and more people are led to believing in the depth of this book when they open the pages and start to read it than someone that stands off and just hears from the society around them that there is no truth contained in it. I tell them to dig in. Get into it. Open it up, because I'd love to talk more with you. And that's the way to open the, the conversation with those who don't yet believe in the Bible. So this morning, I want to show you why Christians have built their lives around its teachings, okay? And to do this, I'm going to draw upon some illustrations. There's going to be six in itself. And um, basically, these illustrations come from it. I'm going to show you that. And they explain how we get to use what it has to say and how we can grow in what we know about our God, his kingdom and what is both for now and to come. The first one is this. I'll show you. It is a lamp. It's my lamp from home. Okay. It comes from this verse, in fact. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So you can see there quite clearly that God calls the Bible a lamp. Now, I remember caving. When I was uh, in high school, we had this great science teacher who used to take us caving. We used to go to Wee Jasper down in Yass. We used to go to Bungonia down in Goulburn. And we'd put on our overalls, we'd put on our helmet and our light, and we would abseil, let's slide down a rope into a cave, and we would do caving. It was awesome. We loved it. And as a teenager, you couldn't get anything better. Crawling around in the mud and the bat crap and the water and the... It's just awesome. Finding your way through the darkness. But you know what? The most amazing thing was this. We'd be together and we'd say, everyone, turn off your lights. And we'd just stand still. It's very hard to explain darkness like that when you're in the bowels of the earth. The only way I can explain it is it it, it starts to impinge on you. You start to feel like its pressure is pushing in on you. You can almost feel the darkness. When everyone's quiet, the lights are off, 
There is no darkness like it. And then, after about a couple of minutes, we get someone to light just one match. And it's absolutely amazing to see how one single match can illuminate that darkness and bring it to life again. And you know, this is exactly why I think God calls it a lamp and why he says it this way. Because one single light can remove that which is all darkness. The Bible can guide us along this path, the path of life that it talks about. And it can be that lamp, that illumination that we need when all else seems dark. It can take us on the way so we don't fall over. So it gives us that recognition that um, I can see where I am going. Where do I put my next uh, footstep as I step out and go forward in what um, God wants me to do? You see, the only way to overcome darkness is to turn on the light. You can't turn on darkness, can you? You've got to turn on light. And that's why the Bible is the light. And that's why we've got to get into it, because ultimately this light refers to the greater light, doesn't it? And who's the greater light? Jesus. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He's the one that took on the form of the Word, capital W-O-R-D, the Logos, but he's also the Word. He's the fulfillment of the Scripture we have within it. So there's the Word. Second thing, God called it was a law. He called it the law. In fact, he says it this way to uh, Moses. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I might give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments which have written, which I have written for their instruction. Now, often I hear people say that the Bible's just, uh, it's just a set of rules. And, and the sad thing about it is often when this comment is made, it's said in a negative manner. Oh, it's just a set of rules. And, and we think of rules that something that want to hold us down and hold us back and bring us under uh, subjugation and, 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 and force us under. But, you know, we all need rules, don't we? We all need laws. And, in fact, what would society be like if it did not have laws and rules? You know, I've actually had a home broken into. And those who we never caught took that was mine. I've also had two cars stolen. Lost both of them. One was in Bible college. They took it out of the car park. That was a nice... I just hope they read my Bible that was in the glove box. And I had another one stolen from underneath my front window of the home. They just hopped in and drove it off. Rolled it out at the park and drove it off. I'm glad there's rules. I'm glad there's laws in our society that say this is wrong and you don't do it. Some people don't listen to those. I don't like that. (laughs) I like rules. Because rules bring about order. Rules create safety and security. So rules aren't bad things. In fact, let me show you something I've got here because I've told you before I'm an electrician in my former life. Before I was a pastor, I'm an electrician. And this is called the Australian Standards SAA Wiring Rules. This is the electrician's Bible. Everything that you see done by electrical is supposed to be fulfilled according to the law. 
And if you don't fulfill it according to the law, there can be great ramifications. It's called electrocution. (laughs) And no one likes to be electrocuted because as an electrician, I've experienced it too many times because I didn't follow the law. I tried to take shortcuts. And hopefully it's never been the people I served that have experienced it. It's been me that it bites. My brother actually is on this board, the SAA board. He is part of those who write these rules. They're constantly being updated because we need laws in place so that we don't get electrocuted. Otherwise, life would be terminal. Let me just say it that way. I've got got to do my electrician jokes. Um, But the the Bible helps us to stay uh, stay alive in life. That's why it's a law. In fact, it was said this way to Moses. Moses said it to the people, sorry. If you obey the commandments of the Lord, notice there's an if in there. Do you want it? It's your choice. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his way, so that's moving forward, isn't it? And by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, wow, there's a lot of things to keep there. Then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Keeping his commandments is an important fact of life. I want people in my society to keep the laws. And God says, you want the blessings of life? You keep these rules that are recorded in here and you will be able to walk the way I have for you. This verse, I believe, applies just as much for us today because God gives us the law that we might live life to the fullest. That's the offer Jesus puts out there. But it's all contained in this nice little fence line. It's called a boundary that you keep my laws and my commandments. You walk in my ways. You hold my statues and rules. And that's the boundaries that allow us to live to that fullest. Third one is the mirror. The mirror. Let me, I think I've got one in here. Has anyone broken many of these? I did yesterday. Not a good thing, eh? Anyway, it's, oh, it's double-sided. The mirror. The interesting thing about a mirror, and you think about this, there's only one reason you go to the mirror, and that is to get something from it. Isn't it? You don't just go to a mirror for no reason at all. Even if it's just a quick glance, you want something. Imagine if you walked in the mirror and you weren't there in your reflection. (laughs) That would worry you. So James says it this way. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, see, the perfect law, he's talking about the Bible, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James is saying when you look into a mirror and you see dirt on your face, you wipe it off, don't you? I love that little last photo up there. How is little Lily, her face? When that was there, I actually said that Joel took the... No, uh, who was Matthew took the photos. I said, Matthew, take a photo of little Lily's face. 
because mum has got to see this. Because this is how blokes do it. We don't wipe kids' faces, do we, Mark? Because it's all about just having a good time. And if they've got food all over it, let them live like that. That is fine. And so there she was in that beautiful little curly hair with this big mess all over her face. James is saying, when you look into a mirror, you go there for a purpose. You go there to get something from it, whether you've got something in your eye or you want to, um, you know, put on your lotions and potions. You want to make sure that it, you know, reflects properly. You don't want lipstick up here and all of that. You, you, You want to get from it. And you actually do something with the information it gives you. And this is what we must do when we look into the Bible. When it says something to you, do something about it. That's what it's saying. When it says something to you, do something about it. Because you see, as words on a page, as words on a page, they have no life, do they? This thing has no life in it itself if it's just words on a page, just sentences in a paragraph. There's no life in that in itself. There's nothing magical about this. I believe it's supernatural in the direction it wants to take you, but there's nothing magical about this book. But as actions that you live out, they produce abundant life. And this is exactly what James is getting to. But have a look there. Notice James calls it the law of liberty. It's the law of liberty. Now, what's liberty mean? Freedom. You want to be free from that which binds you and holds you back? Then we've got the law of liberty before us. It's the answer to being, you know, unshackled, to break free from those things that hold us back and to live a life that actually allows us to progress forward in the blessings that he wants for us. These words, when acted upon, I believe, can break chains. They can. Because it's not just the words on a page, it's the God that stands behind the words. He's the one that recorded it for us. He's the one that breathed it out so that we have it. And he says, you take me at my word, you'll get what I say. And it's a law of liberty. It breaks us free. James is uh, is intentional to explain to us that they're not a quick fix though. See what he says there? They require perseverance. Perseverance. It's not a good word. Really, is it? Do I really have to? I want it now. Come on. I want to be free right now of sin. But he says, no, you've got to walk and work and travel this way with me as I work in you, work on you, work around you, work through you. Perseverance means endurance and determination to push on. It's that to keep going when the going gets tough. That's what perseverance is. But in the keeping of them, that means a doer who acts, that last uh, line there, in the keeping of them, he says, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. So to sum that up, it's as simple as look and act. It's like that little fire drill we have the kids have at school you need to be on the watch look at it like a mirror and when it tells you something get rid of that which it reveals 
or take on that which it reveals so that it can be your life. Third one is seed. Third one is seed. Now, Jesus refers to the Bible as a seed, and you would know this because Nathan's been preaching through it. And here is the verse. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. That's the, and it goes on to talk about the parable. I won't go there. But I think seeds are a great illustration because they start off so small in comparison to what they become. And I, I love that, that. That's how Jesus actually uses the word seed. Seeds will grow when you give them the right soil, the right water, and the right temperature. Just try holding them back. That's what they're made for. And that's what he says here. You give it the right soil, the right temperature, and enough water, it is going to grow within you. And it will become amazing to what it does. Because seeds are made to grow. The Word of God is made to grow within you. And this is how God wants to use the Bible in your life, you see. He wants to produce abundant fruit. I mean, John 10, or yeah, is it? No, the, the vine, John 15. He wants to produce abundance of fruit within you. That's why He prunes us. It's not easy, but we come out of it far greater. He wants you to have great fruit. Um, I've got some seeds here. Let me just grab this. Here they are. A bottle of mustard seeds. You ever seen a mustard seed? You haven't? These are, these are black mustard seeds. Let me just hold one up for you. There it is. So if I was to bring them out to you. Wow. See, so here, does everyone want them? Here you go. You got some? Mustard seeds. They're so small. Like, it, they literally are a pinhead. Sorry, Mel, I think I put mustard seeds in your water and in your hair. You need to wash them out, otherwise they'll grow into the largest tree. <laughs> Sorry about that. Look, Jesus gave us this horticultural lesson here, didn't he? He said, the kingdom of heaven's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, though it is the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants, okay? He's not talking about trees here. Notice he says it's the largest of the garden plants. Because with a mustard tree, they would normally put at least one in their little block of land because it's the largest of all the trees. But you can see a picture there of the man standing. That's a mustard tree in, tree in Israel. And they just kind of put it down the, the, the corner of the block because they want to get the mustard seed from it. It's great for spice. But uh, when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. I'm glad he says it perches. They, they, they don't um, build nests in it, as you can see. I don't know if it would hold too many birds up there. But that's Jesus' uh, little horticultural lesson there. And he's using the truth about the mustard seed. And he says, from little things, big things grow. You're all singing it right now, aren't you? <laughs> right there, right there. That's exactly what he's saying here. From little things, big things grow. I mean, look, you can come up later and have a look. These are nothing. They literally are a pinhead. And look at that. It's bigger than the man. Oh, sorry, I should say. It's bigger than the bloke. That's what they're like. That's the truth about the Bible. But there's another blessing for those who read this and have a look at it here. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the steps with the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners 
or take or sit in the company of mockers, okay? Blessed is the one who does not. Who does not. That's important, that part there. But those who do, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night, that person's like a tree planted by a stream of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf doesn't wither. Whatever they do, it prospers. That's how important this seed is in our life. Whatever they do, they prosper. Because they've actually got their roots deep into him. They're allowing this little tiny seed to grow in their life. And they're producing the outcome that it was written for. Well, see, we weren't given this just to, you know, be a nice little book that sits on our coffee table. We were giving it to eat it and let it grow within us. But I think the thing about this is it's all got to do with meditation. He says the one who meditates on it. You know, I, I think meditation, the best way to explain that is making time to let it soak in. Making time to let it soak in. Just allow that to soak in. That's what meditation is. Do you make time to let God's word soak into you? You know, when Joshua was ready to go out and take the children of Israel into the promised land, Moses had just been buried on the mountain. The very word that God said to him was this. This book of the law, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. So do you meditate upon the word of God? Do you make time to just sit there and let it wash into you? Because, and here it is, Nathan, reading the Bible is not so much about you reading it as much as the Word reading you. Now, that needs time to be thought through. Because you have to think about how does the Bible read me? Now, it's a play on words, but there is so much truth in that. Because that is exactly what this book wants to do to you. It's supernatural. Because the Holy Spirit will take its words and mess with you. A holy messy. He'll start to use it and churn you over and he'll start to mould and make you. It's exciting what he does. And you know what happens? The prophet Isaiah says this. This is our promise. This is the outcome. In fact... Nathan said before, what is our verse here? You know, Luke 3, no, Luke 4, sorry. I'm thinking, I shouldn't say that. I'm thinking (laughs) Luke is the third book, okay? So Luke 4, 18. And Jesus quotes this verse, but this is where it comes from, out of Isaiah, okay? And he says this, see what he says? After all these blessings, he says, and they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Oaks of righteousness. And I put that picture up there because see the size of the oak seed? And yet the oak tree is the largest of all the trees 
that an Israeli could speak about, a Jew could speak about. And God actually puts it into his word, the blessing of his people, you and I are going to be oaks of righteousness. Not just the mustard seed tree, not just in the corner of the garden. We are going to be those that just hang out there on the, on the mountainside. We are going to be the largest in the kingdom. That's the promise to each other, to each one of us. The simple truth is this. You get the word of God into you and let it grow. It will produce fruit. Fifth one, sword. Am I boring you? And I've got two to go. I've got a sword. I can stand here. Like, you want, yeah, I made this because I couldn't get a real one. But um, the Bible's called a sword. Now, it's not part of our um, armour today. We, we, we use many other things, don't we? Like jet fighters and things like that. Tanks and all of that. But for those that were being written to in this ancient book, the sword was quite an amazing instrument to have in your hand in the time of, uh, well, from Jesus' time, even after him. I believe the number one ploy of the devil is to make you forget that you're in a war. Let that sink in. I think the number one ploy of the devil is to make you forget that you're in a war. So here's my question. Do you get up in the morning and tell yourself, I'm in a battle today and Satan wants to take me out? He wants to kill me. He wants to destroy me. Not take me out on a date. Though he'll probably, he'll probably do that too, to some place that's not healthy. But that's what, he, that's what he wants. He wants to destroy you. I mean, you've only got to look at some of the words that describe him in this book. He's called a thief. He's the one that comes and jumps over the wall and takes the sheep. He's the false accuser. He's called the, the, uh, the accuser of the brethren. He's called the roaring lion that's seeking to devour you. He's called the father of lies. He's not just a liar like you and I might lie. He's actually the father of them, the creator of them, the one that brings them in and brings them out. He's called the tempter. He's called the evil one, and I can go on and on and on. They're his names. And those names portray the one that's coming after you every day, that wants to remove you, destroy you, kill you. And that's why God's word is not only for our growth, but for our protection. And I'm glad he called it this. Paul tells us in Ephesians that God has provided armour for us because we're in this war. He said, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So this in itself is like a sword. But the sword is not just for our defense. You know, it's not just for holding back. It's also for our advancing forward in attack. And that's different than all the other parts of the armor, where the breastplate of righteousness and the, your feet fitted with the gospel of peace and the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith. They're all for stopping. The sword is the only thing that can actually allow you to project forward and go after the devil. Take it into his territory and take him out because you have the sword. And that's why we need to know this word. Not just defense, but attack. 
you know, I don't know, I have these conversations and I hear this thing. Satan will say, you're a sinner, Ken. You're a sinner. Do you get that? You know, it comes in all different forms of words. You're a sinner. And, and of course, my response is, yeah, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's my comeback sometimes. Yeah, but I'm a sinner saved by grace. But you know what God actually says, if I quote God's words? Ephesians, I mean, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, you, the new has come. Now, you see, I only go halfway. I, I've got the shield up. <laughs> I'm a sinner saved by grace. But with the sword in my hand, I can go forward and go, hey, devil, I'm a new creation. The old has passed and the, and the new has come. I can take you on in Jesus. That's the difference with the sword. And see, we, we undersell ourselves sometimes because often we stand there and just go, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner saved by grace. You can't get me, Satan, you can't get me. No, no, take it to him. Take it right up to him. That's what the sword's about. Take it into his territory. Because for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It's a great illustration on how living and active it is. A great illustration, I think, is when Jesus went into the temptation into the desert and those accusations were coming from the devil. The devil attacks him three times and this is what Jesus said to him. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written. And what did he do? He just quoted the scriptures. Picked up the sword and went straight through him. You can't get me. You're out of it. Take off. Be gone. And that's exactly what the devil had to do. But like any sword, it's only as good as the one who knows how to use it. Don't be scared of it. Learn how to best master it. Pick it up often because it is living and active. That's the great thing about it. I'm going to give you a little bit of insight here. Pray before you read it. Pray before you read it. Don't just pick it up. Pray before you read it. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the words he wants to talk to you about. Invite him to that process, okay? And by the way, I have no problem with Bible help books, okay? If you want to refer to them so you don't get stuck, you know, commentaries, um, study Bibles, devotionals, the apps we use, I've got no problem with them. Anything to make you know how to use that sword better is a great thing. But remember, it's an ancient book. It was written a time long before us. But it's just as relevant for our life today as was when it was written then. Just as relevant. Here you go, last one. It's a life manual. And Paul tells us this in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be... Now, that's how old and ancient it is. The man of God. The man and woman of God may be competent equipped for every good work because, you see, back then, Paul's just writing to the men. The women were told to be silent, not be seen. But for us, we are given it so we can be competent and equipped for every good work. Notice the words used in this verse, though. It says the Bible is profitable. Profitable. That means it's to your advantage. It's useful to you. So you can be competent. There's another word there. 
so you can be competent. And you know what? That means thoroughly equipped. You need nothing else to do the good works. So therefore, we must understand that God has not set us up to fail. He has not set you up to fail. He's provided you with everything needed to stand and win the fight. And Paul said it this way, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Paul stands behind the sword, behind the word, behind this life manual. And by reading this book, it brings hope, hope for the present and hope for the future. Let me just give you a little bit of insight or a little bit of wisdom here, something that I've learned. Don't read it like an encyclopedia. It's not Google. Okay? So often we turn to it and go, what's the answer to that question? It's a, it's a story. Read it as it was written to us and learn from story. You and I are made for story, by the way. That's how God has formed us. We are part of his story, his story, history. And we need his story to define us, a way we walk forward. It is God's rescue operation on how we can live in the freedom and the purpose that he has for us. It is a story about victory. And let me show you, when I say a manual, I mean this. This is my favourite manual. This is my Holden E.H. Shop manual. It's my, my goal in life is to do up an E.H. Holden. Wouldn't that be awesome? But this shop manual, it's pretty old, as you can see. It was in my, with, I got it with my first one, 1964, if you don't know when that is. I didn't get it in 1964 because I was only five years old, but I ended up buying one. This book tells me everything, everything about what I can do with an E.H. Holden. And you know what? This book tells me everything that I can do with my life. This is my manual for life, okay? It's a car manual. To know anything about the E.H. Holden, I can read about it in its manual, but the person who's designed and built that E.H. Holden put it all together so that I knew how to keep it running at peak performance. And this is what we have before us here. The one who put me together, my creator, put this together, this shop manual, so I can run at peak performance. This is far more important than any other manual you can read. This is going to help you get through life. In fact, this is what John said, Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these, and he's talking about these things he's wrote down, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, the Bible was written so you can find life in Jesus, your creator, the one who knows you better than you know yourself. Can I just say, if you don't know Jesus like I've spoken about today, and you'd like to know him, I'm going to give you that option in a minute, okay? I'm going to close now, but I just want to mention to those of you who do know Jesus, okay? I want to show you this. You are not meant to figure this life of yours out on your own. That's the truth. The Bible tells us that so clearly. You are not meant to figure this life of yours out on your own. You were never created to do this. This is so important to realise. God wants to father you. God wants to father you. The truth is, he's been doing it all along, 
but we don't always have the eyes to see it because things get in our way and the shadow falls over it and life becomes too big for us and we lose sight of our Father, our Heavenly Father, that wants to look after us. God wants to get a lot more intimate with you, but so often we don't have that that posture to receive it and we must change. Now, you must make time, I believe, and space to allow him to have this intimate conversational walk with you. And that's why I talked about meditating, seeking his face. And you know what, I'll, I'll probably even push this a little bit further. If you don't find that relation with him, you'll probably become stunted in your Christian walk and you won't get very far. It'll be like you're always pushing a barrow up the hill. You need to know him. And you get to know him through his Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, taking his word, living it in your heart and living it out. Because the reality is this, we can't find true life without God. We can't. We need him. And that life comes by walking intimately with him. We must spend time seeking his face He longs for it with you. So learn how to slow down and make time to listen to his Holy Spirit and allow his word to read you. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. Now, I don't know all of you here, but we like to do something here. We love in in LifeGate at the end of every service, and that's give people the opportunity to make a decision. If you're going, I want what you're talking about, I need this God that wants to love me and guide me and lead me. I want to lead you in a prayer. It is as simple as that. I might say simple, but, you know, it took Jesus, his his life and his death and his resurrection to win you this opportunity to actually pray. But I'd love to lead you in this prayer. So can we all have all eyes closed? And I just want to pray. Say it out loud with me. Great God, we thank you for all that you have done for us. Father God, I realise that I have fallen short of what you want. Jesus, I need you. I ask for forgiveness. I ask that you would lead me in the life that you want for me. I'm sorry for my sin. Bring the truth to me in Jesus' name. Amen.